Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Father, what a delight for us to be together again this morning. I pray for Dean along with all of us that your spirit fills him to overflowing today. Thank you for his study of your word. Use him as your servant today to be a blessing to all of us as we sit at this devotional and once again, let our hearts burn within us the goodness of your word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Barry. Um, Thank you. So to start off with the memory verse, anybody memorized it yet and would like to share it right now? <laughs> you are really fast. Okay. I, I didn't think I'd get an answer, so I'll read it. It's Romans 12, 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay, so let's get started. So for the um, five-minute devotion, I'm actually focusing on the first first part of uh, Numbers 3, and this is the story about... Nabab and Abuhu, which you also covered in Leviticus 10. And uh, I find this a very fascinating um, passage. And um, so I want to just talk about this a bit. So Nabab and Abuhu, and forgive me if I don't pronounce it right. My mouth is all over the place these days. Um, The beloved sons of Aaron died when they offered profane fire. Some places say strange fire, fire. it's quite, it's not clear as to what they did. Um, only the sons of Aaron could approach the altar to do the work of the tabernacle. Outsiders would die. But although they were sons, they still had to um, do, it, do it the right way. God is no respecter of persons. And I was looking, some scholars said some of the rules were this, that censor had to be the sacred censor of the sanctuary and not our, the person's own uh, incense burner. And incense offered by only one priest at a time. And had to be the high priest. Incense could only be offered at the morning or evening sacrifice. And fire must be from the holy fire of the altar. So to do anything outside of that would be breaking God's command. And the fact that Nabab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron, who was probably the second most important person in Israel at this time, shows that God is no respecter of persons, that even they would die. Showing again, God is no respecter of persons. And so it's very troubling at times when we look at this and we wonder, why was God so harsh? I mean, they made a mistake, but why was God so harsh? And what lesson can we learn from these examples today? I think that's the beautiful thing about the Old Testament. There's lessons in there that we can draw from them. Jesus himself said, even one iota would not disappear from the law until 
everything is accomplished. And so we really need to take the Old Testament seriously and we can learn from everything that's in it. And this is why it's great that Strong is going through the Old Testament right now. So what were some of the things I, I came up with? Well, first of all, sincerity is not enough. There's no reason to think that Nabab and Abihu were insincere. They disobeyed what God commanded by using the wrong fire. They used fire that was not from the holy fire of the altar. And that's the uh, consensus. But why did they do that? The Bible does not say why, but what they did was disobey God's commandment. They ascended the mountain with Moses earlier. And too much is given, much is expected. And we see that in Luke 12, 48. In the Levitical law, we see clear and specific instructions for the work in the tabernacle. There was a right way to worship God and many wrong ways. It did not depend on a person's desire or will. God decides, not us. God wanted to teach his people that it was not a free-for-all. No, we must worship him according to his plan, not ours. This is You'll see this theme throughout the Old Testament. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. God was harsh because the stakes were high. And when you look at the Old Testament, always remember that the stakes were extremely high. So God had to act decisively and often what we look at as being harshly. Um, if people choose to worship as they see fit, chaos will result and Satan gains control. God was teaching his people that he's a holy God and we must approach him according to his instructions. Okay, so that's the Old Testament, but we're in a New Testament. So uh, it is, has everything changed now that we're in a New Testament? Well, we see in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira both lost their lives because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They wanted to impress the church with their generosity, but they did not tell the truth. And Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, yeah, even today, God hasn't changed. He's the same God of the time of Ahab and Abihu, Nabab and Abihu, and he's the same God today. So how, is this, how can we learn from this, and how is it relevant today? Well, Jesus taught us the type of worshiper that God desires. In John 4, 6, 4, 23, he says, Yet a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. If we want to please God, we must live in the spirit. In order to walk in the spirit, first we need to surrender our lives completely to Jesus and he will give us the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit will teach us what pleases God and what God hates. This is very important. This was distinguishing us from the world. We have the Holy Spirit. If we belong to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we do not belong to Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit within us that teaches us what's right and what's wrong, what God loves and what God hates. Without full surrender to Jesus, we risk just doing religion, which is man-made. There's plenty of that around. Um, and in a sense, that's the wrong kind of fire. That's not what God wants, and that's the wrong kind of worship. And we see the results of religion. It's, you don't have to look very far to see what religion can do, man-made religion. Galatians 5, 19 to 24 gives us evidence. and This shows us if we are walking in the spirit or not, and I'll read it. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I want to make this, this is very important because um, when we walk in the spirit, it's also not a free for all. We need to root ourselves in the word of God because the Holy Spirit takes the words of Jesus and, and brings them to our remembrance. He uses the words of Jesus and the word of God to teach us and to direct us. If we leave the word of God and we try to do this just by the spirit, we are really risking falling into error because uh, there are many deceiving spirits out there and they're always looking for opportunities to lead us astray. And I study church history, so I've seen lots of evidence in church history where this happens. Truth means that we live according to his word, which means we really need to get to know his word. And this is what I really love about this light, this heart strong. We're in the word. This is this is important. This is what makes this a, such a special program that we're going through the Bible and we're just talking about the scriptures. And um, so that's it for my five minute uh, devotion. And now we'll look at the uh, rest of the passages. So I want to start with uh, the uh, 3, 14 to 39. I'll read this here. And we'll see how it goes with my time. And I'll try to read the passage and then give a commentary on it. And if I run out of time, I may just have to do the commentary about the reading. But we'll see how it goes. So this is 14 to 39. The Lord said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, count Levites by their family and clans. Count every male a month or old more. So Moses counted them as commanded by the word of the Lord. These are the names of the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These are the names of the Gershonite clans, Libni and Shimai, the Kohathite clans, Amran, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel, the Merarite clans, Mali and Mushi. They were the Levite clans, according to their families. Uh, the Gershons belonged to the clans of the Lidnites and Shemites. These were the Gershonite clans. The number of all the males a month or old more who were counted were 7,500. The Gershonite clans were to camp on the west behind the tabernacle. The leader of the families, the Gershonite, was Aliyah Saf, the son of Lael. At the tent of the meeting, the Gershonites were responsible for the care of the tabernacle, the tent and its coverings, the curtain at the entrance of the tent of the meeting, the curtains of the courtyard and curtain at the entrance of the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and the altar and the ropes and everything related to their use. To Kohath belonged the clans of Amorites, Israelites, Hebronites, and Uzidialites, and these were the Kohathite clans. The number of all the males a month old or more were 8,600. The Kohathites were responsible for the care of sanctuary. The Kohathite clans were to be to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. The leader of the families of the Kohathite clans were Elizaphan, son of Uziel. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles, and the sanctuary used in ministry curtain and everything related to their use. The chief leader of the Levites, Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, he was appointed over those who were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. To Mirai, along the clans of the Melites and Mushites, these were the Mirarite clans. The number of all the males a month or more who were counted was 6,200. The leader of the families of the Mirarite clans was Uriel, son of Abiel, and they were to come up on the north side of the tabernacle. Mirarite were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, post, base, and all its equipment, everything related to the use. 
as well as the post of the surrounding courtyard with their bases and hemp pads and, and ropes. And Moses and Aaron, his son, were to camp to the east of the tabernacle towards the sunrise in front of the temple of the meeting. They were responsible for the care of the sanctuary on behalf of the Israelites. Anyone else who approached the sanctuary was to be put to death. The total number of Levites counted at the Lord's command by Moses and Aaron, according to their clans, including every male or month or more, or more was 22,000. And as I'm reading this, I'm sure many of your eyes is glassed over and you probably didn't hear what I was saying, unless you're following along and you're really good at it and you're checking to see if I pronounced it right. But it's true that it seems, uh, what is, why is it so detailed here and what's going on? But we, we see here that uh, God has chosen a tribe for himself and it's given them different roles. And you see how specific these roles are. Later, when we look at the book of Joshua, we'll see that Levites did not get any territory. Instead, they received small parcels of land and cities which were to be located throughout Israel. In this way, God places his priests throughout the land. Same with us. God calls people to himself by revealing Jesus to him. They form his church, but he leaves them in the different walks of life so they can be his representatives throughout the land. Um, what is interesting in this passage is that the God working through Moses who determines, it's God working through Moses that determines the roles and the duties of the different clans. This is not a person decides what they want to do. God chooses. Um, I, I get a, just a quick uh, testimony. One time I wanted to become a pastor a number of years ago. And as I sought this in prayer, it became clear to me that God is the one that calls and that all ministries are a gift. And he's under no obligation to uh, grant my request. And he did. Um, I soon learned that wasn't God's will for my life at that time. My desire did not equal God's calling. Years later, I realized that there's no task that is considered lowly in God's sight. What matters is faithfulness to the task that matter is what really matters. So we see that in the church, you know, even the, every task is important in God's sight. It's our faithfulness that determines how we, uh, the, you know, how we, whether we please God and what we're doing. Um, okay. So I'm going to read now passage uh, 40 to 51, still, still in chapter three. The Lord said to Moses, count all the firstborn Israelite males who are a month old or more, make a list of their names. Take the Levites for me in place of the firstborn of the Israelites. Add the livestock of the Levites in place of all the firstborn of the livestock of the Israelites. I am the Lord. So Moses counted all the firstborn of the Israelites as the Lord commanded him. The total number of firstborn males a month or more listed by name was 22,273. The Lord also said to Moses, take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel and the livestock of the Levites in place of uh, their livestock. The Le Levites are to be mine. I am the Lord. To redeem the 273 firstborn Israelites who exceed the number of the Levites, collect five shekels for each one, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 jurats. Give the money for the redemption of the additional Israelites to Aaron and his sons. So Moses collected redemption money from those who exceeded the money redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the Israelites, he collected silver weighing 1,365 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his son as he was commanded by the word of the Lord. So in this passage, we see that God is teaching his people that the firstborn belong to him. In ancient cultures, 
being male and firstborn came with great privileges. In most monarchies, they were first in succession. In Israel, they got a double portion of the inheritance. So God's claim on the firstborn would have a strong impact in that culture. God paid for his people to get them out of slavery in Egypt and thus had a right to make this claim. It's amazing that God, who is all when we think of who God really is, it's almost like he can do anything he wants. And yet he does respect. He has his he respects his own laws. He will not impose and, and, and he respects his own laws. And so we see this. He has a right to make this claim. He's not forcing it. He actually has a right to make this claim by all sense of justice. And uh, and that's what he does. Um, so um, but it's, so instead of taking the firstborn from each tribe, God substituted the Levites. That's making it clear that the Levites belong to him. Note that there was a shortfall of 273 missing Levites. So instead, money was taken from the firstborn Israelites and given to the Levites to complete the act of redemption. God cares about the small details. Okay, he, he really, the small deal, details are important to him. Sometimes we, we can lose sight of that. Okay, so let's move on to the, uh, we're into chapter four now. I'm going to read from 121. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take a census of the Kohatite branch of the Levites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work of the tent of meeting. This is the work of the Kohathites in the tent of meeting, the care of the most holy things. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. Then they are to cover this with hides of sea cows, spread a cloth of solid blue over that, and put the poles in place. Over the table of the presence, they are to spread a blue cloth and put it on the plates, dishes, and bowls, and the jars for drink offerings. The bread that is continually there is to remain on it. Over these, they are to spread a scarlet cloth, cover that with hides of sea cows, and put its poles in place. They are to take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand as for the light, together with its lamps, its wick trimmers, and trays, and all its jars for oil used to supply it. Then they are to wrap it in all its accessories in a covering of hides and sea cows and put it in a carrying flame, frame. Over the gold altar, they are to uh, spread a blue cloth and cover that with hides of sea cows and put its poles in place. They are to take all the articles used for ministering the sanctuary, wrap them in blue cloth, cover that with hides of sea cows and put them on a carrying frame. They are to remove the ashes from the bronze altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Then they are to place it on all the utensils used for ministering at the altar, including the fire plans, meat forks, shovels, sprinkling bowls. Over it, they are spread a covering of hides of sea cows and put its poles in place. After Aaron and his son had finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Kohatites are to come do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry these things that are in the tent of meeting. Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, is to have charge of the oil for the light and the fragrant, fragrant incense and a regular grain offering and the anointing oil. He is to be in charge of the entire tabernacle and everything in it, including its holy furnishings and articles. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, See that the Kohathite 
tribal clans are not cut off from the Levites, so that they may live and not die when they come near the most holy things. Do this for them. Aaron and his sons are to go into the sanctuary and sign each man his work and what he is to carry. But the Kohathites must not go in and look at the holy things, even for a moment, or they will die. And the Lord said to Moses, take a census also the Gershonites and by their families and clans, count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work of the tent of a meeting. Okay, so um, the work of the altar is very important, but it's also dangerous. It was taken lightly. There was a, a couple of places in this past where we saw that they could die if they did something that was not permitted, like look. And these are uh, Levites that had a certain tasks to do. Now, one of the things I pull out of this patch is, was the age. Note the ages of the men assigned to the tasks. They could only enter service at the age of 30, and they would retire after 20 years at 50. Um, in Numbers 8 to 23, we see that they could also start at 25, and one commentator said that was maybe five years of apprenticeship. And what do you get from that? Well, what can we learn from that? The early retirement age may be an example of God's mercy as the work on the altar was physically demanding and 20 years of service could be very hard. At the end, the priest would retire knowing he has done his duties faithfully. Then he could continue helping out doing light, light duties. But as for the 30-year-olds, it's important to, that the men reached a level of maturity before starting the work. You know, this is very important and, and is and it's very serious work. Preparation for God's work takes time. I think sometimes churches rush new believers into roles that can actually harm them because they're not ready. And that's kind of what I drew out of this. We see in 1 Timothy 3, 6, Paul warns that an overseer must not be a recent convert, or he may be conceited and fall into the same judgment of the devil. And I have seen that in churches where young people come to the Lord, they're excited, they get put into positions of leadership, and it destroys them. 20 years later, they're not serving the Lord. Normally, don't risk uh, physically dying if we mess up in God's service. But if we are too mature, immature for the responsibilities, Satan can exploit our immaturity to shipwreck our faith or hurt others. So that's what I see from that. So I'm going to finish up with the last passage here, uh, 22 to 49. A lot of reading. Well, I might, I might skip a bit because we are running out of time. I'm going to just cover a little bit of this here. I'm going to read from 21 down to uh, 34. The Lord said to Moses, take a census. Okay, I already covered that. This is a service of the Gershonite clans as they work and carry burdens. They are to carry the curtains of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, its coverings and outer covering of hides of sea cows and curtains for the entrance to the tent of meeting and the curtains of the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and altar, the curtain for the entrance, ropes and all the equipment used in... Um, all in service. Gershonites are to do all that needs to be done with these things. All their service, whether carrying or doing other work, is to be done under the direction of Aaron and his sons. You shall assign them as a responsibility all that they are to carry. This is the service of the Gershonite clans at the tent of meeting. Their duties are to be under the direction of Ethamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Count the mirrorites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work of the tent of the meeting. This is the duty as they perform service at the tent of the meeting to carry the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, and bases, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent, peg, ropes, and all the equipment, everything that related to their use. Assign to each man the specific things 
he is to carry. And this is the service of the Merarite clans as they work at the tent of meeting under the direction of Isamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Now let's just finish up while well, we, we got some time. So then we'll finish up this chapter. Moses, Aaron, and leaders of the community counted the Goliathites by their clans and families. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve at the work at the tent of the meeting counted by clans was 2,750. This is a total of all those in the Kofathite clans who served in the tent of the meeting. Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's command through Moses. The Gershonites were counted by their clans and families, all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve at the work of the tent of the meeting, counted by their clans and families, were 2,630. This is a total of all of those in the Gershonite clans who served at the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's command. The Mirrorites were counted by their clans and families, all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work of the tent and the meeting, counted by the clans with 3,200. This is a total of those Amirite clans. Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's commands through Moses. So Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the Israel counted all the Levites by their clans and family, all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to do the work of serving and carrying the tent of meeting, numbered 8,580, at the Lord's command through Moses. Each was assigned his work and told what to, to carry. This was where they were counted as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so if anybody's still awake after all that reading, I have to say you're doing pretty good. Because uh, the thing that keeps me awake is I'm actually reading it. But yeah, it, it, it seems kind of uh, tedious as we go through certain chapters of numbers. And, and, but, you know, when you have to look into the details, to, and, and, and one of the things I do is I just say, Lord, help me find things in here that you can teach me with. You know, everything in here is, can teach us something. Sometimes it's bigger challenge than not. And, and I did read it, and you can see a lot of this is these de details, details that seem very irrelevant to us. However, I want to look at one verse here in 32, and I'm going to repeat this verse 32, and I, I, I just kind of find this kind of cool. It's here, and it says, so see, and I, I love what one of the um, commentators said. It's, and I'm going to start at 31. This is their duty to perform service at the tent of the meeting to carry the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, and bases, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, ropes, and all their equipment, and everything related to their use, assigned to each man the specific things he is to carry. Okay, some versions indicate that the name of the man is on the task. It's almost like, okay, so basically, um, he's signed to an individual by name. These tasks, like you have, so you would have, uh, you know, you think about it. When your, your name is on something, you own it. So this curtain may have your name on it. This pole has your brother's name. And that's what you do. You know that this belongs to you. You have ownership. Nobody else is going to do this job. Nobody else is going to do this task. It's yours. Your name's on it. And we see that here. And these people would take pride in what they were doing. They're serving the Lord. They're, they're you know, they're, they're doing service for the God of Israel. And, and they would do it with everything, with their whole heart. And that's what happens when we have ownership. If we don't have ownership of something, it's very easy for us to become kind of sloppy in our, in our, um, in our uh, work because we say, well, if I don't do it. Somebody else is going to, no problem. I won't have to do it because somebody else is going to do it. But when you know your name's on it, if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. 
And I think that's important when we think about the church. You know, God gives us tasks, and he puts our name on those tasks. If we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And no task is too lowly to have a name assigned to it. We see all these tasks, you know, just carrying poles. That's not a big deal, right? No, there's somebody's name on that. That's his job, and he did it with his whole heart. Um, so God promises to help us if we remain faithful to the task. And it's kind of the theme, being faithful to the task. But if we run away, then his promise cannot help us. So, you know, when God gives us something to do, we got to stick in there. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes a lot of temptation to run away. Let's not run away. Let's just stick, stick it out, hang in there, and do what God has called us to do. And let's work to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 23. And I'm going to close right here. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And with that, that's it for this morning. Thank you for joining us today. Have you become an official member of our HeartStrong community? Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to sign up. Once you've registered, you will receive an email with links and tips for how to engage everything that HeartStrong has to offer. As a member, you will have access to so much incredible discipleship content found on the members page, such as all of our weekly Bible study events, a monthly training plan with disciplines and practices and discipleship questions to help guide you on your discipleship journey. We also have our most recent Bible study video, all of our teacher Bible study notes, and an on-demand video archive of all of our Bible studies that we have ever done. And lastly, every month, we create and curate content to encourage you on your discipleship journey. So what are you waiting for? Visit heartstrong.life and join today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together. One, two, three.